He said in Jeremiah 50 and 5, They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. I just have a simple thought here, and just this, can, any, can anyone show us the way to Zion? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you for the privilege to share the Word of God. I, I know that you're not only able but willing to help us tonight. To give us fresh oil, fresh unction, fresh anointing. And Lord, I ask that you'd anoint the people to hear and to receive the word of God. Give liberty in this house and speak to our hearts tonight and arrest us, Holy Ghost. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. Shake somebody's hand as you sit down. Bethel, Bethel folks have always been used to backing the preacher. I don't want you to go to sleep on me. Amen. I'm going to be real straight tonight and uh, just tell you what I believe the way it is. I believe it's the way God sees it. We are a generation in present America that is plodding, which just means traveling through. We're plodding, or if we're a remnant, a part of the remnant church around a quagmire of religious muck and manure. And that's just the way I see it. You know, doves dung in the Old Testament during times of famine sold for a high price. I, I mean, they ate that, folks. I mean, that, that when people starve and they'll eat anything. And you also know that that dove represents the Holy Ghost. And in many, many churches in this hour, there's no life. That means the dove is gone and all is left is the dung. So that's what we've become in much of the religious world. I, and I'm not here that tonight just to deal with the condition it's left the saints in because we know that as a whole the church is in a mess. But I'm here to address the tragedy of tragedies. And that is a lifeless, lightless, saltless, powerless, and fruitless church age has created in our world among what it's created among lost humanity. It's sad. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd see the whole thing play out. And I, that Sister Smith, I never thought of that song in many, many years, you know, uh, you know, that she mentioned tonight. It is estimated around 170 million people were alive on the earth in 1 A.D. when the church was a burning fire and shaking the world with a gospel message and power. But today, you and I live in a world with over 7 billion people. And you know, think about it. I, you know, I, I, I don't have to look back any further than when I came to the church in 1978. In that particular time now, 30 nine plus years ago in that day there was revival there on that mountain I've told you that many times the spirit of the Lord I mean even the congregational Methodists were having revival and people say drug addicts and, and drug pushers and all types of folks were being born again our churches when we'd have a youth rally they'd come from everywhere the church of God I, I, I mean a building maybe twice this size packed to capacity they're sitting out in the foyer 
there. The preacher preaching on the Holy Ghost and giving the altar call and it full of, full of not only Pentecostals but congregational Methodist young people seeking the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm just telling you they, there was a revival spirit in that day but the tragedy is that most Pentecostal altars tonight are empty. Say amen. Across America and most church growth today in this country is mega churches or bigger churches robbing smaller congregations of people or, or at least people coming to the church for the entertainment and the activity that's going on in that particular thing. I know people just say now, we like to use that excuse. We're good at making excuses and they say, well, people just don't want God. And I reply, maybe they just don't want the God that we've been showing them lately. Come on now. I, 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 I mean the God that we've been showing. Listen, uh, by our own admission, we've missed opportunities in the past uh, for a harvest of souls in, in past decades like we're doing right now. We've got a generation X, they call them. That's these teenagers, you know, that today they don't have any, any beliefism about them at all. Most of them believe, have very little belief about God. They do not believe the Bible is relevant or the actual word. Of God, most millennials uh, who are my daughter's age, uh, they don't believe it either. It just keeps decreasing the uh, further down it goes, not like the baby boomer generation. And so we've met, we're missing this, folks, somehow. We got them out there, churches with bright lights and rock and roll and a thousand things, but one of the youth people of the church of God put it out some time ago and I, I read what he said. He was a leader among them and he said, we our generation Xers and our churches, the young people will not reach their generation for Christ. He said, why? Because they're too shallow. They, they really don't have what it takes. We have rock and rolled them. We've given them lights. We've given them this. We've done that. We've had a thousand things, but he said they're not capable of winning their, their generation because we've missed it. I replied back. They said that thing went out for a lot of folks. And I replied back and I said, yes, the lights and all, I don't know all the things I mentioned. And I said, but if you'll get those young people, if you'll get them baptized in the Holy Ghost. Fill them with the Word of God. Teach them to pray. They will win their generation. They will win their generation. Brother Clendenin shared years ago, he's talking about in the, in the 60s, you know, when he was pastor in that church. He said, you know, he said, we missed a whole generation uh, called the Jesus Movement. Anybody that old? Well, I was just a kid. But he said, we missed a whole generation. There were hippies that had come to, they said no Jesus you know I, uh, uh, they, they had long hair and they, they were flower children but they, they were all this big thing about Jesus and he said our churches missed that but uh, you know helping them reaching them because uh, they looked so bad and he said they were so unlike us Pentecostals in our churches and evangelical churches but he said you know years later I realized uh, they were searching for God and the church 
church refused to reach out to them. Come on now. He said many of them, though, after years went by, passed from those hippie flower children Jesus movement years. And man, when they, they grew up, so to speak, they became CEOs of companies. They, they became teachers and leaders and politicians and all that. People thought they were worthless society and the church didn't want anything to do with about reaching them or discipling them. Now, I was too young to be aware of that with, with those folks in the church. But as I look back and hear the testimony of that, I'm convinced they were a generation of often misguided souls, but they were crying out of the church to the church in the 1960s, will somebody show us the way to Zion? Can somebody show us the way to Christ? You know, Jesus never shunned that woman at the well. Come on now. He, he never thought. I've, I've, I've been struggling with some of these uh, Pentecostal folks. I know that, that, you know, when people fall and sin, they, they, they want to keep pushing them down the road, kicking them down the road like a can. And I, I, I don't do Facebook, but I do do Twitter. I don't put on there what I had for supper. I, just things, you know, the Lord dealing with me. But I, I said, you know, I've seen them praying our altars, weep in tears. And I said, how long do we keep pushing them down? Come on now. And that's the way we're doing the world. Jesus never shunned the woman at the well. She's been married five times. When he met her, she's living with her lover without marriage, but when she came to that well in Samaria, he knew her heart was crying out, and two 2,000 years later, we still hear her questions, and it said, Jesus, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. I believe that was significant, because that well of Jacob was the source of life for those mixed-breed Samaritans. Amen. And I, him sitting on that well, she's sin-sick. She's searching. How do I know? She's an adulteress. How could she be anything else? She's shacking up with the man, but yet she's here now in that kind of a lifestyle. But she's wanting to know, saying to Jesus, where can God be found? Is it here in this temple we have here in Samaria? Is it here or at the temple in Jerusalem? Can you tell me where we can really worship God, that we can really find God. She was crying out to Jesus, sir, can you show me the way to Zion? You know, he said to her, I that speaketh unto thee of me, I'm the way, the light, the truth, and I'm the, I'm the way to Zion, the way to eternal life, to heaven, to the Father. Jesus never shunned street walking Mary Magdalene. Come on. Now, most folks wouldn't want her in their church, but many believe her. Many scholars believe her to be the center woman of Luke 7, 37 that broke the alabaster box and anointed Jesus with that oil. No, Simon the Pharisee said if he was a son of God, he would know what kind of scum was washing his feet. Well, he knew exactly what kind of scum was washing his feet. He knew exactly what kind of woman is washing his feet. And I, I tell you what Mary was doing at the master's feet. Mary was crying out, Lord, can you show me the way to Zion? Can you help a messed up low life like me find God? I've hung around the temple area in the shadows and I've sought the religion. 
religious leaders to help me out, but they curse me to hell. They told, they hold their nose when they walk by me, and they they've never offered to cast the devils out of me. And I'm I'm looking for the way to Zion, but they only tell me the way to hell. And and Jesus said to old Simon the Pharisee, he said, "Her sins, which are many, are forgiven." <laughs> Amen. She she's found Zion. You know, I I've never nor would I ever believe we should compromise Bible holiness. Notice I said Bible holiness. Never, no sir, no righteous standards at all. But I, I want to tell you, Jesus ministered to publicans and sinners. And did you know he went home with them? That's just the way it is. He, I'm not sure he'd fit in to most of our Pentecostal <coughs> congregations in this hour. But he did. He went home with them. I, I mean, but listen, many of the churches today, even the ones, I, listen, I, I've been around and been a part of the Holiness Church all my Christian life, but m- listen, many of them, and I know what I'm talking about, on that mountain where I'm from, folks, if they walked in that door, they got measured, totally measured by, you know, I, I, listen, I do know what I'm saying. I, they, 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 they make sinners who are dressed bad, smell bad, sin bad, feel unwelcome totally. He was preaching Evangelist, Brother Teague actually once shared the story with me. And he told me about a church out in Texas. I believe it was Texas or Oklahoma, one of those two states he was preaching a revival in. And he said, Brother Turner, he said, I, I was preaching. He said, I didn't realize it till it happened. But he said, we're having revival. And he said, one of the deacons of the church was standing out on the steps. And people were driving up, dropping off. A uh, man drop his wife off, what have you. And, and uh, he's standing out there greeting folks when they come in the door. He's out on the church steps. And he said this car pulled up out front and this woman, and when it did, this woman was driving it and she the doors opened everywhere. Kids went to running out like a school bus. And he said, come find out later, he understood that uh, it was children, this woman's children, but they had a different daddy, every one of them. Every one of them had a different dad, a different father. And this woman pulls up. Everybody knows who this woman is, but when she pulls, she's going to go park now after she lets the kids out. And the good deacon, before she pulls away, said, we don't really need your kind of trash around here. I said to Brother T, it's a good thing you're the one preaching that meeting and not me. So help me, God. That deacon, the pastor may have sent me home on a trailway bus, but I can tell you, that, that man, I'd have held him over the flames of hell. Amen. That's what he said. He, you know you know what kind of trashy woman, what that trashy woman was doing coming to that revival with those little kids she had, but different daddies. She's come looking for somebody that can show her the way to Zion. She, she's tired of being trash. She's tired of being a bad woman. She's tired of being a whorish woman. She is looking for the way to Zion. And an old backslidden holiness deacon, so-called of a Pentecostal church, said, you're not going to find the way to Zion around here. Not your kind. Oh, God, have mercy. In Luke 12, 52, woe unto you lawyers. That's religious folks in Jesus' day. For you've taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not into yourselves and them that were entering in ye hindered say amen somebody that old man didn't repent he's in hell tonight I can assure you himself 
Brother Clinton told the story years ago when he was pastor in Beaumont. He, he said he had an elderly lady in that church. She was in her 80s. Said she had the most wicked son maybe he'd ever met in his whole life. He said, man, he said that, that guy was demon-possessed, a drug addict, an alcoholic. He said there were times that his mother, he'd hold a gun on her and force her to watch pornography. 80-something-year-old mother. Just wicked. Just laugh at her. He said that woman was so tormented by that son. And he said, you know, he said, they wouldn't anybody on earth any more scum than he was to me. But he said, I'm asleep one night. And he said, the phone rang. And he said, when I picked up the phone, guess who's on the other end? That slumbag boy of hers, that devil-possessed son of hers, on the other end of the line. And he said, I heard his voice, Brother Clendenin. Yes, sir, what do you want? He said, Brother Clendenin, I really need God. And I want you just, all I want you to do is just pray for me. Brother Clendenin said, I'll pray and slam the phone down on the receiver. He said, I was aggravated and went back to sleep and thought, how dare he call me? That's that trash, that trash. And anybody, there ain't no way, you know, just how trash he was and how bad he was. But the next morning at the five o'clock prayer meeting in the Victory Temple Church, he said, I'm in there praying, man. But he said, I couldn't pray. I couldn't get through. I couldn't feel nothing. And he said, after a while of struggling with that, he said, God spoke to me and said, said, hey, preacher. He said, I, I guess you have come to the place to where you know better than I do whether somebody can get saved or not. And he said, I, I was floored by that. He said, God, what are you talking about? I know way I know better than you about who can be saved and not be saved. He said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? I, he said, oh, yeah, you, you've come to believe that you know better than me who can be saved. And he said, no, God, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And God spoke to him and said, I had a man call you last night. And you determined he could not be saved. He could not be saved. I've watched folks over the years put yokes on people. They cannot bear themselves. They, they, man, they haunted me like ghosts. Some of that little, that little clique there in that church. They, there wasn't all, a, a lot of them, but there was enough. And they tormented me over parting my hair in the middle. And they tormented me over stuff. I'd be, it'd make you laugh if I mentioned it. And that would. I told them if I had any hair to part, I'd part it any way I could now. But I, I, I mean, it was just constantly, and they tried, were constantly putting yokes on people, and it, it, it just never was enough, never was enough. You know, listen, I, I, I promise you folks, I believe in sanctified living. I believe that. I've never changed my mind. I don't care what foolish people say. I, I believe in that. But I also, I, I know of a situation, a pastor, He's gone now, but a pastor was uh, went by a church, and he wasn't evangelizing, and the pastor there, pretty good-sized church, good church, a, a, a good church, and, and so he invited this preacher out of respect to preach for him. The guy was out on vacation, I think, he and his wife, and he got up, and, and oh, I, I'm just here now. He's bragging about his church, clean church. That's what he kept saying. I got a clean church. I don't have this in it, and I got a clean church. I don't have that, but you know what? I happen to know what he did have. 
I'd preached there a long time and for a lot of years, and I just happened to know what he did have. But I'm telling you, over 30, over 38 years of preaching this past March, of preaching around this nation, I have smelled a lot of putrid flesh coming from whited sepulchers called churches. Come on now. I'm not demeaning anything. I believe churches ought to be holiness churches and live right. But in 39 years, I've seen many dead men's bones sticking out from the pews of whitewashed sepulchers in our churches. When I came to the Lord 39 years ago this past November, I was the filthiest human in this world. Listen, folks, my drug pusher, drug addict, I stood up one night at a country club there on that mountain where I live, and I raised in that church and I held my fist up to heaven and cursed God to his face. Do you hear me? I, I, I mean wicked and vile. I, I told him I, I, I had an old Volkswagen, a 60-something model Volkswagen. I was absolutely insane. I had 11 cheerleaders from my high school packed in that Volkswagen. I think that was a Guinness World Record, I'm telling you. But just crazy, a crazy person, just insane and full of the devil. And listen, I had nothing to offer my kind was the vilest of the vile but I was a searching looking crying out every night for somebody to show me Zion the difference between me and others I had been to Zion I knew what Zion was who Zion was but I'd gotten lost like a lot lost sheep so I'm looking at a bottle a pill angel dust sex money wherever but when I came looking I thank God that we had a pastor in that church old brother green and listen and most of the saints there who didn't say we don't need your kind of trash around this church don't need your kind of trash I love the words of Isaiah 55 and 1 ho everyone that thirsteth come you to the waters he that hath no money come ye buy and eat yea come buy wine and milk without money and without price I had nothing to offer God the night that he saved me that old song, just as I am, without one plea. I had nothing all but the filthy rags of a beggar. Once in a while, I can't remember the old song, but I'll start singing that old song. I once was a beggar, but now I can sing, praise God, praise God. I'm a child of the King. Where did we as the church Lose our way as the light of the world to show lost souls the way to Zion. Where did we lose our responsibility or shun our responsibility as the custodians of redemption to that sinner? I say this with love, but I'm afraid that the church in general across this nation has become clueless to what it's about now. We're, we're, we're just kind of... I don't know what's happened to us, folks. It's like a sleep, the spirit of slumber that's come upon us. And, and again, we're just coming together for the most part, and we go through the, 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 the motions of it all, you know. But I, I just tell people it's not pretty buildings. It's not programs. It's not, listen, to preachers, I say it's not a job. It's not a, a career. It's not a retirement plan. I've been called, you've been called to show men, women, and young people the way to Zion, to show them the way to Christ, to show them to eternal life. It's not like we can just say with these ministries here, well, I, I just really don't have time. I've got really, I've got too much 
to do. I'm pretty sure this brother has too much to do as well. Amen. But that, that's just not the thing. Well, I'm, I just don't have the time, really. Yes, I, I've got so much. I'm just, but the thing is that the sacrifice of that time is the call of God upon our life. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher or not a preacher. I have this treasure in an earthen vessel, and I can't keep it hid from searching hearts. Around the world, they're crying out for answers. Their religions have failed them. I, you know, I find it amazing over the years. I've heard people talk about those Muslims in certain countries. And I, I'm not sure we think about this. And we say, well, they all just carpet bomb them and just kill every one of them. Just annihilate the whole country. But wait a minute, Jesus died for those folks. I said he died for them. My old mentor, Brother Clinton, said, son, he said, it's not that they won't believe. They just nobody told them. He said, because many of them, when they're told, and we did, we went to Amman, Jordan, um, right before 9-11. I can't remember what year. And they came from Syria. They, they came from Egypt. They, were, they came from Iraq. They came from uh, Jordan, different places in the world there. These men of God and they, women of God, some of them, they came there and taught them the Word of God and they went back. But oh, the testimonies that are coming out of Iran, they don't tell you this on the news, but there's a revival in Iran tonight. I, I, I mean a revival. The Inman's over there, the Muslims are, are just shaking in their shoes because uh, uh, the college age uh, people are coming to Jesus Christ by the thousands every day. They're coming to the Lord, and then in places like Egypt and other places, the Muslims are coming to the Christian quarters. Now, most of the Christians are gone now. Even Iraq, the large percentage of Christians have immigrated out. The same in Egypt, maybe more in Egypt left, but they're, they're, they're everywhere. The same testimony of Muslims coming at, by night, by cover of night, knocking on the door in Christian quarters where they live, you know. And, and when a Christian goes to the door, they see that Muslim, that heart, no doubt, beats pretty heavy at first but but the muslims are saying man this is not just one country but many they're saying you know we've been i know you're a christian and i had to come at night for my own security but we we want you to help us because we've been having i've been having a dream and for the last few weeks i've had this reoccurring dream a man appearing to me all in white and says his name is jesus and said he's the only hope that i have he's telling me that he's the only way to eternal life and and said i, I just want i I know you're a Christian and I want you to tell me about this Jesus. Think about it, folks. There is no excuse for ignorance. If we, if we don't see the need, obey the command, then we do that willfully. John 4 and 35, say, say not ye there yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. And then he said, Jeremiah 8, 20, the harvest is past and the summer is ended. We're not saved. I want to know tonight, do we obey the command in Matthew 9, 38? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. You know why we don't pray that? Because we're afraid he'll send us. We're afraid he'll send our children. We're afraid that he might send one of our grandchildren across to the four corners of the earth. And, and I want to know what we're waiting for. People say, well, I don't know. Well, that won't work in the judgment, I can assure you. I tell people, preachers, how, how can we say that we're holiness preachers and we claim to preach straight and preach the word of God and we don't preach that to our people? 
We don't preach to them that practice in obedience and truth to this commandment that, you know, we can emphasize a lot of stuff, but if we don't obey that, then I, I, I'm concerned that we're going to be in trouble when the thing is over with. How long, I ask people, how long has it been since God sent a missionary out of our churches? You know, most of our young preachers today, when they get called, they want to go to a burned over harvest field. Come on. They want to start a church. They want to go right down the road from the ones already started. I tell some of the young preachers here in the south and actually on the east, I said, why don't you go west? I said, Colorado, there's cities out there, big cities that don't even have a real Pentecostal church in them. Once you go to Wyoming, there's cities stretched all across that, towns and cities that don't have a real gospel witness in it at all. Not one. Why do our churches not provide an atmosphere conducive for raising up missionaries with a vision and a burden to show mankind the way designed? But then I also tell young people, I want to make it clear to you, just because the church hasn't prayed and encouraged you to take the gospel out to the perishing millions, you're not off the hook. The Bible said in Ezekiel 33 and 8, When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to one the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Folks, it ain't, we ain't going to get out of that. You say, well, I just didn't say. I didn't do anything to send him to hell, but just not saying anything. He said his blood's still going to be required at our hands. You know, I, I, I knew I was called to preach this gospel around the world before I ever preached my first message. I, I knew that I was called before I was even I was married. I, I was a young Christian. I, I'd take my, job, my vacation from my job in Chattanooga seven days and I'd spend the whole vacation in fasting and prayer. The first times when I started, nobody told me how to drink water, a little bit of water, and I liked, I liked to die. I thought I was going to die. I didn't. The Lord spared me. I didn't even drink any water in the seven days, but I wanted to know the will of God for my life. People said, how did you know? I said, I went over there. Drove my Jeep out in those woods and we're on that mountain. I hung my feet over the edge of that cliff with my Bible. It'd scare you flatlanders to death. But I hung my feet over that mountain straight down, had my Bible, and I'm over there. And, and the Lord, I prayed and so help me God. The Lord showed me. Faces, multitudes with their hand raised of different colors and different tongues. And I'm preaching to them. Folks, I ain't been nowhere in my life but Canada. And, amen. That's across the Detroit River. I ain't been nowhere. I, I, I've been raised up on that mountain in a coal mine in town. And, and uh, so I, I, I'm just, I'd go back and tell folks at the church and they'd look at me like I've lost my mind. But since then, I've been in 58 countries and some of them highs 15 times from communist China to communist Cuba to everywhere in between but nobody in our church knew anything about missions the preacher didn't preach on it he didn't know anything about missions and nobody we didn't have mission services but you know what happened I, Gwen and I, I they made me I had a burden for it I hadn't been nowhere yet hadn't been to the mission field but they made me the mission director for the district I had never even been nowhere but I had a heart for it and the pastor made me mission director 
So we had the first mission service on our district, far as I know, ever in the history of the church of God on that mountain. And so there was a few pastors showed up because they didn't want to hurt my feelings. It didn't matter about God's feelings or what it was about the kingdom because they didn't have a mission program either. So they, they showed up that night. And we had a precious little lady from Haiti. I forgot her name, a little bun on her head. Sister, I can't remember the name. It eludes me right now. But she around somewhere now, 1981 or so, she came to be our, have our mission service. But nobody ever came to our church. Nobody. You know who called me the Holy Ghost. You know who gave me that burden. The Holy Ghost gave me that burden. There was no missionaries in our family. No, nobody. Listen, it all came through the Holy Ghost of God Almighty. But listen, I, I remember the old story my friend told me about Morris Plotz. He was uh, the great A.G. Assembly of God missionary back uh, generations ago, Morris Plot, they called him uh, Buonatembo, is what the natives called him. Buonatembo meant Lord Elephant. They said because he had a foot like an elephant. He was a big man, big old long shoe, shoe had a foot like an elephant, and that's what they called him, Buonatembo. Well, Morris Plotz was in Africa for many, many years, and the chief there in one of the tribes got saved and got really born again. And after some, maybe years, maybe a few months or years went by, the chief came to Morris Plotz and said, Buona Timbo. He said, I want to ask you a question. Yes, sir, brother. He said, how long have you known about Jesus? How, how long have you known about God, the gospel and salvation? And Morris Plotz replied to him and said, Well, dear brother, most of my life I've known about Jesus Christ. And the old chief said to him, Then where have you been, Buonatembo? He said, My daddy, my father, who was chief of our tribe, died lost without God because nobody ever told him. Nobody came. Nobody told him, Where have you been? Where have you been? Oh, God, have mercy. You know, we have a lot of stuff on display in our modern Christianity in churches, especially in that realm out there of the uh, charismatic modern Pentecostal movement, especially in that. I'm telling you, the buildings are like Solomon's buildings. Beautiful. I, I, you, they've got them now with Starbucks in the foyer. Do you believe that? That's a fact. Starbucks in the foyer. I don't go to church to drink Starbucks. I can get that if you want to pay that kind of money at Starbucks. But they've got buildings for all kinds of activity. And they, they have entertainment. Come on now. They've got youth centers with everything from rock climbing to rock and roll. I mean, they've got it all, man. They've, they've got everything there. They, we've got superstars in the pulpits today. Think about it. Superstars in the pulpit. And they're giving religious self-help talks to people lost in darkness and people that are searching for Zion, searching for, in this dark religious nation, in this dark religious world. But the sad tragedy of it all is they may join that dark thing called a church, but they do not find Christ. They do not find the reality of this gospel. In closing, someone had shared the story with me. <clears throat> Finally, they mailed me the old, old, old book. I was afraid to even have it in my possession until I could get it back to them. It was about the pioneers who 
settled the West. Even the days when before the wagons first rolled outward and westward, it was when the trappers, they were the first ones to go west. The trappers uh, became friends with the Indians, and in those days there wasn't any Indian wars because they didn't see one or two trappers here and a few trappers there as a threat. So uh, the, the Indians went. I made a copy of this. I got the book made a copy of this little story I'm going to share with you in closing. And I'd read it at times. I'd pull it out of my briefcase and read it, and my heart would be touched. But here is what it said in that old ancient book. William Clark, the head of superintendent of Indian affairs, had been told a story. The Flatheads were a morally religious people that had met a trapper that was different than the godless trappers and white men they had only known in the past. And this different man told them their way of worshiping the supreme being was radically wrong and displeasing to the great creator. This distressed the flathead Indians, and they're, they're, but their instructor said to them, white men knew the right way to worship the great spirit. Moreover, said white men had a book containing directions on how to conduct themselves in order to enjoy his favor and hold converse with him. And with this God, no one need go astray, but everyone could enjoy this life and his favor. And after death would be received into the country where the great spirit resides. So the flatheads determined to inquire into the right way and sent four Indian chiefs to St. Louis to find Mr. Clark, their old friend, and the book. When they arrived, Mr. Clark informed them that they had been told right. He told them about the way, but the tragedy, the tragedy was Mr. Clark didn't really know the way himself, and so therefore he never told them the way, because most people back then were just kind of religious, but lost while there, two of the old chiefs died and was buried in St. Louis. And finally, when the other old chiefs have tired in their search for the way to Zion and was ready to return home, this is what the last chief, one must have said, and I read in closing. He stood before he departed St. Louis and said, You were friend of my fathers, friends of my fathers who have all gone the long way. I came with an eye partly open for my people who sit in darkness. I go back with both eyes closed. How can I go blind to my blind people? I made way. I made my way to you with strong arms through many enemies in strange lands that I might carry back much to them. I go back with both arms broken and empty. To fathers, two fathers came with us. They were braves of many winters and many wars, and we leave them asleep here by your great waters and wigwams. They were tired in many moons, and their moxicans were worn out. He said, my people sent me to get the white man's book of heaven. You took me to where you allow your women to dance, the dance halls. And the book was not there. You, you even took me to where they worship the great spirit with candles, the Catholic church, I'm assuming, and the book was not there. In the book, you showed me images of good spirits and the picture of the good land beyond heaven. But the book was not among them to tell us the way. And the old chief said, I'm going back the long and sad trail to my people in the dark land. 
You make me f- my feet heavy with gifts, and my moxicans will grow old carrying them, yet the book is not among them. When I tell my poor blind people after one more show, snow in the big council that I did not bring the book, no words will be spoken by our old men or by our young braves. One by one, they'll rise up and go out in silence. My people will die in darkness, and they will go a long path to